Father in heaven, it's already been a sweet day together in your presence. We thank you for this family here at Broadway, brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that we get to join our hearts in singing each Sunday. Now we get to sit together under your word and to learn together how you would have us to live. And so we pray that you would teach us today from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So sometimes we, we make the Christian life uh, a bit complicated. Um, pastors especially like to make the Christian life uh, complicated. Uh, we have all these different things that we know we need to do, we hear about, we, you know, we need to do this and that, we need to you know, be here on Sundays, we need to be doing this in the morning. We've got all these things that we just kind of heap upon ourselves, and we kind of make the Christian life complicated. And those good works and those spiritual disciplines and all those things are very important to the Christian life. You know that if you've listened to my preaching at all over the last couple of years. You know those things are important to me and vital. But what I want to say today is at the heart, the Christian faith is very simple. It's very simple. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. In John chapter 6, there's some people who have been watching Jesus, who have been following him, some of them a little bit at a distance. And they come to him and they, they, say, they say, Jesus, we hear about this eternal life that you're talking about. We've, we've, you've just fed us, 5,000 uh, 5, of us, with five loaves of bread and a few fish. We've, we've seen you do all these miracles and we hear your teaching and we know that you must be from God. And so tell us, Jesus, tell us what we need to do. What works do we need to be working on in order to enter into this eternal life that you're talking about? And Jesus says this, your work is to believe. To believe in the one that the Father has sent. This is the heart of the Christian faith, the very uh, center of the Christian faith, to believe that Jesus Christ is the one who came into the world to save us from everything that destroys our lives, everything that brings death into our own life and into the world. Jesus has come, and it is our work to believe. Now, to say that this is simple does not mean to say that it's easy. Something that's simple is not the same as saying it's easy. It's also not uh, mean that there, it would never come with any doubt or any uh, difficulty. But it's simple. <laughs> Believe in Jesus. Uh, if you had a text for me at 6.30 this morning, or if I've asked you to help me today, uh, if you could come on up. Okay, so I need you guys to be in two lines. So one kind of shoulder to shoulder here, across here, and then another line here, shoulder to shoulder here. Okay, and I need you to, to kind of hold out your arms like this and kind of be like in between like that. Okay. So glad that my wife, my mom, and my mother-in-law are here to see this right now. Now, if I say, I believe, I believe that these 
eight men would catch me, but then was too scared to fall back into their arms. Would I really believe? No. What is required to believe? Thanks, fellas. Can you take that back in there? (laughs) That's going to come up here in a second. That's going to come up here in a second. I just want to consider this illustration. Believing is more than mentally saying in my head, I agree with this theological statement. I agree that Jesus is Lord. In fact, James says, the book of James says, that even the demons believe and they shudder. It's more than saying the right words in the right order. Believing is this placing our weight, our trust, our hopes, our life, our eternal life into the hands of Jesus. And the Bible says that this kind of belief in Jesus changes everything for us. When we believe, when we place our belief in to the Creator, when we place our belief into the one who has come and who has saved us and who has redeemed us, it changes us. It actually gives us power. Power to face and to overcome impossible circumstances. This kind of belief in this creator and this Lord, it has power for us to face death without fear. It has power to enable us to forgive others when they harm us. To forgive ourselves when we know we've done wrong. This belief in the one who created you, who made you, who knows you, and who saved you, it comes with power. Believe in Jesus. Not just believe in anything. And the world tells us that there's all sorts of things that we should believe in. Believe in yourself. (laughs) You know, we hear that a lot. Believe in yourself. Believe that just things will turn out okay. Believe in whatever. Fill in the blank that the world tells us. It's not just believe in anything. It's believing in the one who is worthy to hold the weight of our life and our belief. And so, Bill, this is where it comes in. I, I was very particular in who I chose, if you noticed, to catch me. If I were to choose, you know, eight five-year-olds, you know, as much as they love me, you know, as much as they, you know, would want to catch me, they aren't worthy of that weight. They can't hold that weight. The only one who is worthy to hold the weight of your belief is Jesus. 
believe in Jesus, and it comes with this power to experience abundant life. And we have testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of people in this room whose lives have been changed because they have placed their belief in Jesus. Addictions have been overcome. Marriages have been saved. People have been brought from the depths because they have placed their belief in this one named Jesus. In the next few weeks, is my little uh, clicker there? No? It's not. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to tell you when to go. Okay, Ruth? So the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, uh, the word believing is one of the most important words in, uh, in, throughout his entire letter. Um, if you look in the back of your, your Bible in the concordance, you'll see, and you go to the word believe, you'll see that the Gospel of John holds about more than half of, of any of the other books in the Bible about this word believing. If you want to go to the next, next slide there for me. The Greek word uh, for faith in the Bible, the noun faith, something that we have, is the Greek word pistis. Okay, and it means faith. It's a noun. It's something that we have. It's something that we possess. The verb, the verb is pestuio, believe. Go ahead to the next one. And this word believe, again, is used 98 times in the Gospel of John. It's only used about 220 times in the whole Bible, but 98 times here in the Gospel of John. Awesome. Thank you, Rona. 98 times in the Gospel of John. And interestingly, John never uses that noun form, pistis. It's only this action verb of believing. It's only the the kind of belief that allows you to fall and place your whole weight on Jesus. The word believing is an important theme, an important word in the Gospel of John. We see also in the Gospel of John that there are are signs of belief. Signs of belief. If you turn with me to John chapter 2, and uh, please grab a Bible today because we're going to be reading, flipping quite a bit and reading quite a bit from the Gospel of John. It will be helpful for you if you're following along. In the Gospel of John, John, there are actually not a uh, seven signs of belief. The word seven is an important biblical number. Um, it's a number that represents completion or wholeness. And so there are seven signs in the Gospel of John that that cause belief in the people who witnessed them. John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is uh, the story of Jesus turning water into wine. It says, The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. This is the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put there, that's wrong in the NIV, it is, and the disciples believed in him. Disciples believed in him. John 4 verses 53 through 54 is the second sign. It's the healing of the royal official's son. 
there was a, a royal official who had a, a son who was sick, and this man came and believed and placed his, uh, his belief in Jesus and knew that Jesus could heal his son. In verse 53, it says this, The father realized that when his son was healed, it was at the exact time at which when Jesus said to him that your son will live. And so he and all of his household, what? Believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Those are the first two. And then there are five more signs from John chapter 1 until John chapter 11 that cause people to believe. There's the healing of the crippled man by the, by the, pool, by the side of the pool of Siloam. There is uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. There is uh, Jesus walking on water later in John chapter 6. There is the healing of the man that was born blind in John chapter 9. And then the healing of Lazarus in John chapter 7. And John calls all of these things signs which point to who Jesus is. That's what a sign is. It's something that points beyond itself to a more important reality. When Katie and I were dating, uh, for most of the time during, during our t- time of dating and being engaged, uh, we, we lived apart from one another. I lived up in Chicago, and Katie lived in Greencastle, Indiana, where she went to dis- uh, school at DePaul, Indiana. And so once a month, every six weeks or so, uh, we would get to see one another. And you know, when you're just getting to know one another and uh, just being engaged, how great it is to be together, right? You're just excited to be together. And so once a month or so, we would meet together at her parents' house in Crown Point, Indiana, which was about halfway between us. And so as I would drive from Chicago to Crown Point, Indiana, there was this sign on the side of the road that was my favorite sign, that, uh, road sign that I've ever seen. It's still my favorite road sign, and it looked like this. Are you guys taking notes? That sign, if I would have stopped there, I was excited whenever I saw the sign one mile away, just like two minutes, and I'll be there, and we'll get to see one another. That sign made me excited, but if I would have stopped there at the sign, that'd be an odd thing to do. This sign pointed beyond itself to something better. These signs in John served the same purpose. And we see a lot of times in the Gospel of John that people would see these signs and they would be content with the sign. The people who are, uh, are fed from five loaves of bread and fish, they come and they ask Jesus about this and they just want their bellies filled. The man who is healed by the pool of Siloam, he goes on and he turns Jesus into the authorities. He was satisfied that Jesus had healed him. He was satisfied with the sign, but there was something that pointed beyond the sign to who Jesus was. And so that's the purpose of these signs in the Gospel of John, to point us to who Jesus is as the one who is worthy of our belief. Turn to the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. John gives us his reason or his thesis statement for why he's written this entire Gospel. John chapter 20, 
We have this very uh, familiar story where uh, Jesus has appeared to some of his disciples, but Thomas was away. He didn't get to, to see Jesus. And Thomas says, I will not believe unless I see and place my hands in his hands and in his side. And so then Jesus, in his mercy and grace, he appears again to his disciples with Thomas there. We know Thomas as the doubter. And then Thomas believes and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says then, because you have seen me, this is verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, you, who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John John stops telling the story and he turns to us, speaks directly to us, and he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is written so that you may believe And that through believing that you may experience this power for abundant life in his name. We have 2,000 years of experience that John's purpose is fulfilled. Thousands, if not millions of people have read the book of John, have heard about these signs, have not seen it with their own eyes, but have believed because of John's word. Because of this gospel. So I would encourage you that between, um, we're going to be looking at John for the next few weeks before Easter. And then uh, Easter Sunday and then the Sundays following, we're going to be looking at the, the resurrection appearances in the gospel of John. So I'd encourage you to spend some time in the gospel of John over the next couple of months with this theme in mind. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Do you believe? Have you placed your full weight on Jesus? We're going to spend the rest of our time in John chapter 11, which is the last sign that uh, Jesus performs uh, before his journey to the cross. John chapter 11, it's the story of the raising of Lazarus. Throughout these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this theme of believing. And today, what I want to say about belief, as we look at this story, and we're going to read quite a bit of this story today, uh, is that there is no way to believe in Jesus too much. Most of us in this room, at one point in time, have said, yes, I believe in Jesus. I've trusted him with my eternal life, or I've trusted him with this part of my life. But there's always a part of us where we can join with Peter in saying, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. There's always places in our life where we still are not believing. I want to say to you today, and we learn in this story as we look at Thomas and Martha and Mary, that there's no way to believe in Jesus too much. 
There's three people in this story who believe in Jesus, and it's very clear in this story that they believe in him. But they also, in one way or another, express unbelief too. They don't fully know who Jesus is. And there's deeper parts, deeper ways to trust in Jesus. And they learn that through the raising of Lazarus. The first person we're going to look at is Thomas. John 11, verses 1 through 16. What happens is... um, There's a man named Lazarus, and he has a sister named Martha and Mary. And Lazarus becomes very sick, and Martha and Mary send a messenger to Jesus to tell him, your your friend, this one that you love, Lazarus, is very sick. And of course, they're hoping that he'll come and do another sign, (laughs) that Jesus would perform a miracle, and that Lazarus would be made well. And so Jesus waits for a while. Rather than going, uh, he, he waits for a while until he knows that Lazarus has actually died. And then Jesus says, let's go. Let's go now to to Bethany and this place near Jerusalem where uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. Let's go there. And and his disciples go, "Um, Jesus, do you remember the last time you were in that region? Um, They tried to kill you. They tried to stone you. And if you go there, they're going to kill you again. And Jesus responds to them, says, no, we're going to go. And then Thomas, at the end of this section in verse 16, has this incredible statement of belief. This man that we know as Doubting Thomas has this beautiful statement of belief. Verse 16, then Thomas, called the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The disciples, the other 11 at least, and probably Thomas in some way, is worried and afraid for their lives. But Thomas says, let us go and die with him. I'm going to Jerusalem with Jesus. If he's going to die, I don't want to be left behind. If he's going to die, I want to die too. Let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. Thomas believed in Jesus, right? It's very clear he believes in Jesus. Then we have Martha. Jesus and his disciples arrive in Bethany. In verse 17 through 27, we hear this conversation between Jesus and Martha. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha believes in Jesus. She believes that Jesus, if you would have been here while Lazarus was sick, I have no doubt that you could have healed him. In fact, I believe that if you even ask anything at all to your father right now, I'm wondering if she's hoping a little bit that just maybe Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. I believe that anything that you ask, it'll be done for you. And then Jesus says, 
He is going to rise again. And then Martha kind of steps back from her confidence a little bit. Yes, I know at the resurrection at the last day that he will rise again. And Jesus reminds her that whoever believes in me will never truly die. He asks her if she believes this. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the one that God promised through the Old Testament prophets. I believe that you are the Christ, the one who's come into the world to save us and to rescue us. Martha believes. And then there's Mary. After Martha had said this, verse 28, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Mary is always at Jesus' feet. Always. She falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can only imagine how often Martha and Mary had said that while Lazarus was sick. She repeats the same words of her sister. If only you had been here. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary believes in Jesus. Thomas and Martha and Mary, they all believe. But we see as this story unfolds and as the gospel unfolds, that there is still some unbelief in them as well. They do not recognize and acknowledge fully who Jesus is and what he is able to do. Thomas believed enough to be willing to follow Jesus to his death, but we see at the end of the book that Thomas didn't believe that Jesus said what Jesus said he would do many times that he would rise from the dead. It was not even in Thomas's imagination that Jesus would be able to do this. Thomas believed, but there was still unbelief in him. There were still places for him to grow and come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Even he was willing to die for him, but there were still deeper places of belief to go to. Martha believed that Jesus had the power to give eternal life but we see later here in this story that when Jesus asked for the, the, the stone to be rolled away from the tomb, that Martha says, Jesus, the body is going to stink. It's been in there for four days. She doesn't believe that Jesus in that moment could he- raise Lazarus from the dead. Mary believed that Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus when he was sick, but now that he's dead, it's game over. She didn't believe that Jesus had the power to do this thing. They believed, but there was still unbelief. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. There's a lot of interesting things here in this text that uh, 
our English language and our English translations really have a difficult time helping us grasp. I'm going to do my best to unpack them a little bit for us. Jesus sees her weeping, and he he sees them, and it says that he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And this kind of makes Jesus seem really polite. He's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Okay, this is like Jesus is angry. He's frustrated. This is real, just deep in his core. He sees what's happening. He sees all of these people weeping over this dead man. He sees Mary weeping, and he becomes troubled. He becomes angry in his spirit because he sees this. There's been a lot of questions about why Jesus was deeply troubled, and much ink has been spilled about this. I think it's clear. Jesus is frustrated and angry at their unbelief. This word, Jesus wept, it's a completely different word than the weeping that Mary and all the other people are doing. This isn't some empathy that Jesus is having towards them. He is angry because he has been telling all of his followers over and over again that he's coming to Jerusalem to die and to raise from the dead, and they still do not see and they still do not believe who he is. Jesus is deeply troubled by their unbelief. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he says. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, you take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love that last part. Jesus has done all of the work, but he still has work to do for his disciples. Jesus did all the work, but he says, hey, I still have more for you to do. Lazarus still needs your help. Go alongside him. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. They believed, but there was still unbelief, right? Thomas and Mary and Martha all believed, but there was still unbelief in them. And friends, this is always true of us. Always true of us. We are believers, but we remain in so many ways unbelievers. I believe Jesus for my eternal life, but I don't believe that he can save me from this addiction. I believe that Jesus can forgive me, but I can't forgive this other person. I believe that Jesus can reconcile me to God, but I don't believe that Jesus can reconcile me back to this person who has hurt me. We have belief, but we don't truly believe. And this is always true in the Christian life. And so we join with Peter in saying, I believe. Lord, help me in my unbelief. And so this morning, I want to ask you, where is it for you? What part of your life are you not believing in Jesus? 
This morning, this may be all new to you. Some of you are visitors here today. You came because you had a family member dedicating their child to the Lord or whatever it may be. And this is all new to you. Maybe you have never heard that Jesus is one in whom you can place all of your belief. And through that belief, he will give you power to overcome impossible circumstances in your life, to overcome amazing things, and to give you eternal, abundant life. It's available to you today if you will believe in Jesus. For those of you today who do believe in Jesus, where is it in your life where you need to believe? Where you're not believing that Jesus can heal, can bring reconciliation, can enable you to forgive, where is it where you are not believing? So this morning, I want to take a time of silence minute or two for us to be quiet and to ask the Lord, where in our own life do we need to believe? And so this morning, if, if you want to come forward and to pray and to respond in some way, please feel free to come, for, to come forward. We have uh, these kneeling rails in front of us. If you want to come and pray with somebody, if you want to share with somebody about something, or if you have questions about what it means to believe in Jesus, please come to this side and someone will come and pray and, uh, and share with you and talk with you. Uh, if you want to pray by yourself, just you and the Lord, please feel free to come to this side and to pray. Would you join me now in a time of silence and ask the Lord to show you in your life where you need to walk more deeply in belief. God in heaven, we thank you for sending your son into the world. That his life and power, his death and his resurrection are worthy to hold the weight of our life and our belief. You can be trusted with our life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would believe this. Or if anyone today needs to say this for the first time, I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts to believe this truth about who Jesus is as the Son of God, the one who you sent into the world. Lord, and for all of us who need to walk into deeper places of belief, Lord, I pray pray that you would show that to us and give us the power by your Spirit to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.